Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence as we go against the spread with our good friends Andy Isco in Las Vegas, Jim Feist in Las Vegas, and my good buddy Victor King from King Creole Sports as we tune into the NFL championship round of the 2024 football season. And I got to say, it's nice to be back in the saddle this week. And kudos to our producer, Greg DePalma, on a great job quarterbacking the show last week. Thank you very much, Greg. Job well done. My pleasure, Mark. And with that, let's welcome in the crew to the show here. We're going to be discussing, obviously, the upcoming NFL championship round football games. But before I get to that, Victor, I want to ask you, uh, from an over-under standpoint, is there anything we need to be aware of from an over-under total aspect from a perspective coming up on this week's championship card? Uh, well, we've got the numbers, Mark, uh, thus far. Let me see here. In the um, in the wild card round, the six games in the wild card round, it was a 4-2 and two ATS week for the underdogs. It was 3-3 three and three in regards to um, the overs and the unders. And then in last weekend's uh, division round, the dogs split out going one and one ATS, three overs, one under. So uh, we're currently at six overs and four unders in the playoffs thus far. Uh, Something that I've been keeping a track on ever since working on the totals tip sheet newsletter for the entire season is when you break down the playoff afternoon games versus the night games. And if you remember, we talked about these night games throughout the NFL regular season and the very high percentage of unders that occurred in those night games, the Thursday night games, particularly the Sunday night games and the Monday night games. So here we go in the NFL playoffs, right? There has been five games thus far that started in the afternoon. Guess what, folks? All five of those games have gone over the total. All five playoff afternoon games have gone over the total. And by a margin of plus 12.9 points per game, afternoon playoff games have averaged 57.0 points per game in the afternoon. Guess what? The five games that were played at night in the NFL playoffs, only one over, four unders, just like those Patterns that we talked about in the regular season uh, at 75% under the total in the NFL playoff night games. The only night game that went over the total was the very, very last one, and that was that Chiefs-Buffalo Bills game. So, again, it's been a very interesting when you uh, uh, run through the database and you do a day versus night split in the playoffs thus far. Obviously, this week... The Chiefs-Ravens game is the afternoon game, and the Lions and the Niners game is the night game. So that's where we are at. Now, uh, we went against that. Oh, excuse, excuse me. One thing, Victor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what do you define as a night game? I'm 
guessing that you use it's based upon the local start time of the game where it's located not where it's telecast and then the other thing is what is considered a night game is it like 5 p.m 6 p.m or does it actually change as we get more and more towards the shorter daylight time uh it, it changes for our purposes since i'm an east coast guy i use east coast times so in terms of the night game the second game on the card of that particular day uh, again we talked about the uh, chiefs Bub bills game and while we're at it, i mean we may as well say congratulations to mark and to uh, yours truly it was a five-star double whammy on sunday mark's uh, playoff game of the year kansas city chiefs nicely done outright winner mark Good and job. Victor's, Victor's over on the five-star. What was that, Victor? That was on the over in the Chiefs-Bills game as well. The Chiefs had their most efficient offensive game of the season by far. So for people who went to playbook on Sunday, they nailed a couple of five-star playoff game of the year best bets are playing the over. Mark's playing the Chiefs. So, again, Mark, nicely done thus far in the NFL playoff. And right back if at I, you, Victor. Nice job as well. I'm sorry, Andy. If, go ahead. No, if I have it correct, wasn't the Buffalo-Kansas City game the only game in which the winner had a negative turnover margin? I think Buffalo had the only turnover in uh, – uh, or excuse me, Kansas City had the only turnover, I think, in that game. Right. And uh, not only that, but, you know, Buffalo actually outstanded the Chiefs by about seven or eight total yards. That wasn't a big deal, though. Do you realize they ran more than 30 more offensive plays than the Chiefs did? The Chiefs only ran 47 offensive plays. The NFL average this year is 63. So the Chiefs only had the ball for 47 plays on offense. In fact, guys, they only got the third down five times throughout the course of the entire game. That's how efficient, how explosive how dynamic the Chiefs were on first and second down in that game against the Bills. They averaged 8.7 yards per play. And again, like I say, definitely the most efficient offensive game of the season for Patrick Mahomes and his you know, Chiefs. Let me throw this in there, Victor, and it was an efficient game for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, his quarterback rankings in the playoffs are just mind-blowing. He's got a 122 Point one quarterback rating in his career and it starts against Baltimore. He's just as good in the playoffs. But with regard to what you mentioned here about uh, winning the game and losing the stats, uh, two teams did that last week, Kansas City and Detroit. And just coincidentally, if you take a look at the Lions and go backwards on them, they've won two playoff games. They've been outyarded in both of those games and they were outyarded in their final game of the season when they played all their starters. Right. It wasn't like, you know, it was a, you know, the, backup teams or the scrimmage squad playing that football game. So just a little bit of a, a word of warning, I guess, for the Detroit Lions here. They're not – the cuffs and the collars aren't matching. They're not doing the job on the field, as the scoreboard's indicating. Well, not, not only that, they were outgained by 90-something yards in both of those wins over the Rams and then uh, their win uh, uh, last week as well. Bucks, yeah. So it's not, it's not like – you know, if you're outgained by seven yards, that's like, you know, one, two plays. When you're outgained by 90 yards, well, part of it is also reflected perhaps in the number of plays, but that's still a huge amount to be outgained and still win. But, you know, I often say to myself, when I get down deep into these stats and I look at them and I say, okay, and I always check every team that they win the stats as they lose the stats. And I often say to myself, I know that, that uh, Dan Campbell didn't give a hoot in that locker room that they did not win the stats, okay? <laughs> All he you know, <laughs> all he cared about was a scoreboard. Uh, it's hard not to root for a guy like that who 
does things in the unconventional, very aggressive way. And I think that rubs off to, in fact, uh, in the newsletter this week, we ta I, I mentioned about how Dan Campbell, in just three sh uh, short years, goes from an 0-10-1 start in 2021 to playing for a chance to go to the Super Bowl two years later. And I say that's almost if you go back to the 1989 Dallas Cowboys after uh, Jerry Jones took over and Jimmy Johnson came in and they go 1-15 in that first year and, uh, uh, let's see, 89. In 92, they end up winning the first of back-to-back -back Super Bowls. I wonder if, that, if, uh, if Detroit might be on a similar trajectory. Wow, we're going to find that out. Jim, what was your take on what you saw in the divisional games last week? Well, we, you talk about Detroit. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed with them offensively, very unimpressed with them defensively. I mean, they gave up 400 yards the last two games. I don't know. I didn't go back into the last game of the season, but they have not been very effective defensively, and now they're going up against the team, albeit they didn't do very well against Green Bay. Uh, but it seems like Purdy has problems with the rain. At least two of his really bad games this year against Cleveland and Green Bay were in rain games. And so he, he might have trouble gripping the ball. Now, if Debo doesn't play, that also affects them. But uh, they should have a, a pretty easy time of it against this defense because they have a lot of weapons on offense and they're very diverse. I mean, they can they come at you a lot of different ways. And if Purdy doesn't have problems like he did against um, – Green Bay last week, or did against Baltimore when they were out there and demolished them. They should have, they scored a lot of points. Yeah, they sure did. Uh, with that thought in mind, guys, uh, let me roll this by you here, Victor, from an over under total standpoint of what we're looking at in these football games here. Are we seeing numbers that are a little bit above the norm or below the norm from where they've been this season for the four teams that are involved? Uh, I'm sorry, give me a time out a second here, guys. Sure. I'm, I'm uh, misplaced my piece of paper here. I can mention that the early movement in both games was slightly towards the under. I saw the uh, uh, the Baltimore Kansas City game open 45 and a half and moved down to 44 and a half fairly quickly, and the uh, Detroit San Francisco game, which opened 52, moved down to 51. So the initial move, at least, has been towards the under. And really, when you take a look at the four teams. Three of them, Baltimore, Kansas City, and San Francisco, have been outstanding uh, defensively uh, thus far this year. So I can understand the movement downwards, and uh, Jim does bring up a concern, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and that's uh, uh, Detroit's defensive uh, inefficiencies. Now, if Debo, if Debo plays this week, they're much more potent offense than if he doesn't. I mean, he's a, an extremely talented offensive player, and it – yeah, you can spread the ball around to other players, but you take away that one weapon, it does cut down your options. Right. The, you know, the Niners, if they are going to beat Detroit this week, they got to do it through the air. That's Detroit's uh, Achilles heel on defense. They've given up 320 or more yards per game through the air in each of their last five games. If it's not going to be Debo, Brock Purdy's still going to need to uh, get it out there to guys like uh, Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and even uh, Juwan Jennings, and, of course, CMC at the running back position. But, Mark, I got some of those numbers from a uh, uh, NFL playoff uh, over-under numbers broken down by team. And uh, Baltimore, nothing really jumps out. Their last 10 playoff games, five overs, five unders. That's dating back 10 years. Detroit, as you know, not a lot of playoff experience. 
But in their last seven playoff games, Detroit, two overs, five unders. That's dating back to 1997. Uh, KC is a uh, interesting study in home and away splits. 0-4 uh, to the under in their last four playoff home games, but 5-2-1 to the over in their last eight road playoff games. And then for the Niners, their last 13 playoff games were going back 10 years, two overs, 10 unders, and uh, one tie in terms of the uh, 49ers. Um, one thing that jumped out at me is this high over-under line that's in the Niners-Lions uh, game. It's currently over the number of 50. Now, we've talked about these games this season. In the regular season, NFL games in which the over-under line was 50 or more only went three overs, 12 unders. They went 75% under the total. And, in fact, in our database, in the playoffs now, we're going back to 2017, six full seasons. Playoff games with a high over-under line of 50 or greater have actually gone 8 and 16. That's 8 over 16 unders, 67% under the total. Uh, for me, that would be a lean in the Niners-Lions game under the total. Uh, one more thing in terms of the AFC playoff games. The last 11 AFC playoff games in which the over-under line was less than 48 points. Like this week, there's been 10 overs and only one under. Again, AFC playoff games with an over-under line of less than 48 points. Uh, right now, we uh, lean toward the KC uh, and the Baltimore game over, the Detroit-San Francisco game under. we got a lot of database we still got to cover, but that's the way we'd be leaning right now based on some of these database uh, situations. Andy, let me ask you this question. Uh, you know, we're at the vital part of the football season here, and we have a relatively inexperienced football team in Detroit. It's been a long time between drinks of water for them. Nick wrote in our playbook newsletter that uh, if you, the last time they won two playoff games in the same season, well, you, you, you would be 67 years old if you remembered it back when they did it last, okay? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's an experience from going back a long way. What do you think the experience factor is in both of these football games, and is it an edge for either team? Well, I think it's certainly an edge for San Francisco, given their recent uh, playoff history. And you can make the same argument for Kansas City, considering this is what their uh, uh, fifth or well, it's their sixth consecutive AFC championship game and Baltimore's first in, in quite a while. But then again, I also take a look at the coaching factor in uh, these two games and you know, you could make the case that both Andy Reid and John Harbaugh are Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, they've each won Super Bowls. Uh, Harbaugh has been uh, at uh, the helm of the uh, of the Ravens for like 15 years, 16, I think it's the 16th year. And Andy Reid, of course, spent a lot of time with Philadelphia, had some great success there. And now I think this is, this is his 11th season uh, with the Kansas City Chiefs. So I think that both of those coaches will be able to handle uh, any issues that come up with the lack of experience, certainly on Baltimore's part, as far as uh, uh, how to handle things like that. San Francisco, Detroit uh, is a little bit different because you wonder uh, the Lions were very successful in handling that quote-unquote pressure. They had not been to the playoffs uh, since uh, 2016, and they hadn't been in a home playoff game 
since I think 1993, if I recall correctly. Uh, so not only were they uh, in an inexperienced situation as far as being in the playoffs, they were inexperienced playing at home with the quote-unquote pressure of supposedly being the bitter te better team, the team expected to win by virtue of playing at home, and yet they handled it nicely. Although, again, if you go back to the game against the Rams, uh, the, the score was 21-17 at halftime. Both teams struggled, and I would say that that's more of an issue for for uh, Detroit because they had the more explosive offense, and they could only manage, uh, what, one field goal in the uh, uh, second half. The Rams got uh, two field goals to make it 24-23. And then they came out last week against Tampa Bay, and uh, uh, after a, a, a first half that was fairly even, uh, that's when uh, Detroit took off in the second half. Now they've got to go on the road for the first time in the playoffs game going up against an experienced team. So I think experience may make a more of an edge with uh, uh, with the Detroit-San Francisco game because of Detroit's lack of experience. But, hey, they've now won two elimination games in a row. So maybe it's not as big of a deal as you might normally think as if they had started the playoffs on the road and had succeeded. Well, one of the reasons I bring up the experience aspect here, Andy, is, uh, uh, and I don't want to override this horse, okay, because there's a lot of experience and a lot of numbers to talk about. Kansas City, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, because they've been there, they've done that, and it's of late here, obviously. When you look at Patrick Mahomes, this will be his 17th career postseason game. If you add up the starts of the other three quarterbacks, wow. Jared Goff, Lamar Jackson, and uh, – Purdy, they total 16 combined overall career starts. So he alone has more than all three of the other wow. quarterbacks combined. Jim, do you think that's a factor to be uh, to take into consideration when handicapping that game? I sure do. Um, there's no reason for him to be shocked at anything that's going on. His nerves have got to be more stable than the others. Um, you know, I'll go back to Go back to the coaches as well. I mean, how many how many playoff games has Andy uh, uh, Andy Reid been in, and Harbaugh, and of course Dan Campbell. We know other than this year he hasn't been, and then, then Kyle Shanahan, who I, I bring up something about Kyle a little bit later. But to answer your question, I think experience plays a big role in this for a lot of players. You all, all your players, if you've been there before, you're not going to be as nervous. The second time around, you're going to start out at least a little bit more nervous going into the game. As far as Kyle is concerned, everybody talks about how great a coach he is, and he is a very good coach. He is. He's done a lot of great things, but he has a tendency, in my opinion, to do some very strange things in the game when this comes down to decision time. And you pointed out the halftime situation where he, what he did at halftime, what he did in the Super Bowl as an offensive coordinator against New England. He was up 28-3 at the half. When he was up 10 points against Kansas City with San Francisco against the Chiefs in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and how he played there with Garoppolo as his quarterback. I've, I've seen him make some decisions that kind of, uh, you know, it, that you, you think maybe – he chokes a little bit. He gets a little tight. He gets a little too conservative. Uh, I, that's just a – it's more of a question than a statement, but it's also a statement. Well, one thing there, in fact, if you just go back to the Super Bowl against Kansas City, 
I think it was about seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and the Chiefs were up, what, 20 to 10? Uh, 49ers were up 20 to 10. Kansas City scored three touchdowns in the last seven minutes to win the game 31-20. And, yes, of course, we all go back to that Kansas City uh, – I'm sorry, the, uh, the Atlanta-New uh, England uh, uh, Super Bowl. One point I do want to make about Detroit, however, in terms of experience, and that is at least the most important player on Detroit, Jared Goff, has been to a Super Bowl. It's a great point, Andy. That's right. Third, thirteen to three against Patriots. Uh, New England when he was with the with Rams. the uh, Rams. Yeah. Well, digging through my notes when putting our uh, championship guide together, the playbook newsletter, it's available right now as we speak, and we're doing the podcast, uh, sharing a couple of notes that uh, we put in the newsletter. We'll share with our listeners and our viewers out there as well. Uh, when you take a look at teams, uh, I mentioned Patrick Mahomes and all the good things he's done, especially as an underdog. 13 times he's won nine of those games straight up. What's interesting, in the Baltimore-Kansas City game, you're matching up the top two scoring defenses in the league. And in championship games, when you do that, the winner of that championship game has gone on to win in all five Super Bowl games that they've arrived to, which would be interesting here. Uh, The winner of the Baltimore-Kansas City game would also likely be the favorite in the Super Bowl. So – Pay close attention to that to see how this all shakes out because it's defense that wins Super Bowl games. We all know that. Uh, anything else, Victor, that you find noteworthy-wise, maybe if it even isn't from an over-under total standpoint about what we'll be looking at this weekend? Well, you know, since you've already uh, – we're talking about Patrick Mahomes, you know, uh, some, some, some of these good quarterbacks, they do particularly well against a particular team, and we don't know why. But check out the uh, four games between the Chiefs and the Ravens when the two quarterbacks involved were, in fact, Patrick Mahomes against Lamar Jackson. And, again, I'm kind of addressing this from an over-under standpoint. But back in 2018, KC won 27-24 to at Arrowhead. Mahomes threw for 377 yards. In 2019, the following season, KC beat Baltimore again at Arrowhead 33 to 28, Mahomes threw for 374 passing yards. The following season, the 2020 season, the COVID season, they played each other in Baltimore. KC beat Baltimore 34 to 20. Another shootout. Mahomes, 385 passing yards, four touchdowns. And then finally, they played each other in early September of the 2021 season. Again in Baltimore, the Ravens came away with a 36 to 35 point victory. My point being all four of the Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson games were shootouts that easily went over 50 points. The thing that's interesting about that is that this is the weakest Kansas City offense since Mahomes took over and by far the best Kansas City defense since uh, Mahomes uh, uh, since, yeah, since Mahomes became the quarterback, their best defense. So maybe you can handicap the total by handicapping how you think this game is going to go based upon those two different things. By the way, I'm going to ask you, Mark. Uh, The Circa has put out advanced lines on the four potential Super Bowl matchups, and uh, we can use it as a tease and get to it a little bit later, or I can uh, share those with you now. It's up to you. Sure, sure. If you share them now, that would be great. You you piqued my interest, Dan. Okay. Uh, This is the Circa. These are actually the current lines as we do the uh, podcast on uh, uh, mid to late Wednesday afternoon. In a 49ers-Ravens matchup, which of course would be a rematch of a regular season game, 
Uh, the 49ers are one-point favorites. The total in the game is 48, and the money line actually has uh, minus 116 on the Niners, minus 104 on the Ravens. The Lions against the Ravens, the Ravens minus four and a half. Total on this one is 50. Ravens minus 220 money line. The Lions plus 190 uh, money line. 49ers and Chiefs, uh, which was one of the favored matchups coming into the season. The 49ers are two and a half point favorites, minus 115. So it's minus 105 on the plus two and a half with Kansas City. Total is 48. The money line has the 49ers minus 145, Chiefs plus 125. And in the uh, sort of symmetry game, which would be the Lions against Detroit, because we could have the game that started the season when uh, the uh, Lions went into Kansas City and won, and we could see the Lions and Chiefs end the season if that's the Super Bowl matchup. Right now, the Chiefs are a three-point uh, favorite, minus 115, plus three, minus 105 on the Lions. That total is the highest of the four possible matchups, but only by a little bit, over under 51. Chiefs, minus 160 money line. The Alliance plus 140 on the money line. And, of course, for those of you who are uh, looking to partake of those odds, whether it be at Circa or elsewhere, uh, if those matchups of the three matchups that don't occur, if you had a made, a made a wager on them, of course, those those monies uh, are returned to you. The only one that you would have action on would be the actual matchup that uh, we will see in two weeks. Uh, Jim, let me ask you this. Andy mentioned the, uh, the odds, uh, the matchup between who appears to be the two favorites, uh, but we didn't even mention Baltimore. I'm sorry. I'm not referring to that. What I'm saying is, is if Kansas City makes it to the Super Bowl against San Francisco and Frisco's the two and a half point favorite, do you feel Kansas City playing at in Vegas every year because it's a division game? You know, they know they know the stadium, they know the layout, they know the city, everything else like that. Do you think that favors at all Kansas City in that football contest? Maybe a very very little. Um... Let me answer the question this way. If you were going to take the four coaches and rank them one to four, and you take the four quarterbacks and rank them one to four, who would be your top coach and your top quarterback? My top coach and my top quarterback would be Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Yep. You could you could and make a you agree. could make a case for Lamar Jackson despite his uh, lack of success prior to last week in the playoffs, because, well, look, it's likely that both Mahomes and, uh, uh, and, and Jackson will each have two MVPs after this year's words are, are announced. But I think you'd have to uh, go. I, I, I think you'd have to go. It, well, it's interesting because I put Reed ahead of Shanahan. I'm sorry, Reed ahead of Harbaugh as a coach, simply because of longevity and the greater overall success. What I'm more interested in is where would you rank Dan Campbell in his brief career and Kyle Shanahan with some of the uh, caveats that uh, Jim mentioned a little earlier? Probably one near the top and the other at the bottom. Uh, I know Campbell's really got this football team uh, roused, uh, got their attention. They're going to go in there as much of a rah-rah team as we've ever seen in a championship game, but he hasn't been there. And, you know, that's my main concern. Right. Kyle Shanahan has, Campbell hasn't. And I don't know how they're going to handle or how he's going to handle that particular situation. Remains to be seen, but just as my opinion. I wonder. I wonder if uh, Campbell will tighten up a little bit because of the importance of the game. That does happen. Uh, you, you know, everything's fine, and you're not supposed to. You're kind of playing with house money, but now you're in a situation where people are now expecting you to do something. When that happens, it it has a way of tightening people up. It's human nature. 
No, no doubt about that, guys. Uh, we're gonna before we move over to the round table, uh, we're gonna bring uh, our producer into the show, uh, and he's gonna ask us some questions, and hopefully we'll have some answers that uh, he'll want to hear, and listeners out there will want to hear. I want to remind everybody out there that this show is being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where every Friday it's minus one oh five juice, and every customer at uwager.lv. It's a rebate, a 5% rebate on their losses. You can check it out all online at uwager.lv or give them a call at 1-800-U-Wager. And with that, Greg, how about this round table? I'm going to bring you in here and uh, you can fire questions at us, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, first, I want to remind everybody as we draw a uh, actually pretty close to the conclusion of the football season we only have one more show to go that'll be our super bowl preview show to subscribe to the channel uh we are nearing 600 subscribers so we definitely want to hit that before the super bowl hoping to do a lot more so uh please do that uh and uh, that'll be much appreciated speaking of our viewers uh, i want to throw off some uh, viewer comments first to start off the round table uh ernest brooks three now, he said this last week, and I was going to save it if, uh, if it was worth it, so I did, and he made a couple of observations. One, he said, great to see you again, Jim. Another great year. I've been following you and Mark since the 90s. Many thanks. And he took Tampa Bay and Kansas City last week, and uh, Ernest came real close. And I know you guys didn't talk about it, but what a huge decision to go for two points. Uh, financially speaking, in that game. You can imagine, and I know I, they even referenced it in the game, uh, mm -hmm. about, yeah, the, 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 the analytics say you should go for it. I know there are still a lot of people that are against it. I'm one of them. It all depends on what the team is. I, I just think to go analytics is ridiculous. I think you just go based on your feel. It just always feels a little bit weird, guys, that – you know, you just got a touchdown. You're about to go down seven. Everything's going great. Why go for two? And then if you don't get it, you just – some of that momentum has gone. I just I just don't understand that. But, yeah, that was just a huge, huge deal financially when they by, decided by the to go way, for two. By the way, Greg, I agree with you on that. The shocking part about that decision was that it was Todd Bowles, not Dan Campbell, making exactly. that decision. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, right. I've listened to a lot of – I've listened to a lot of people try to explain that decision. Now, personally, it cost me money. I had there you go. Had, uh, the dog. <laughs> it would have been a push. But but then but then I I listened to you know there's a fellow out here named Steve Fezzik, and he's like a genius, especially mathematically. He knows, uh, and he tried to explain this on a podcast I listened to. And damn it, the way he explained it. The decision to go for two is actually financially, mathematically, the wise move. And that's why they go for it, Jim, right. I'm not going to try to explain it because it's very confusing. But, I mean, he's not a guy I'm going to doubt when it comes to math. He knows his shit. Um, but um, going for two is analytically the right decision. I hated it because it cost me money. But... What, what do you my my question about that, not all two-point conversion attempts are the same. It's one thing if you go for it, like Mike Tomlin has done many times, if you score the first touchdown of the game in the first quarter. Correct. It's a lot different if you're going to, to attempt it in the fourth quarter against uh, a team that has a good defense, uh, as, uh, uh, as uh, wasn't the case with Detroit, however. But 
where if you miss it, then you have to go for it the second time. If you if you uh, uh, if you make it the first time, then if you score a second touchdown to procedurally at that point tie, you make an extra point to win. Uh, the sample size, I don't know how great it is as far as the number of two point conversion attempts in a season, but it's a smaller sample size if you look at uh, two point conversion attempts, say within the last five minutes of a uh, of a fourth quarter, as opposed to the number of two point conversions uh, at uh, uh, at any point in the game, at the the, the psychological aspects of it, uh, the intensity, whatever, is a lot different when the game is somewhat on the line in that last few minutes of the fourth quarter than when there's still two or three quarters or a little bit more to play, and you have much more time, many more possessions to overcome a failed two-point conversion. Victor, your thoughts on, the, on that two-point conversion rather than kicking the point, the standard kicking the point? I agree with the decision, uh, and I was one of those who had Detroit. I didn't buy it up to plus seven. I played it to plus six and a half. I lost with it. I'm okay with it. Um, if you compare it to a fourth down, let's say, you know, fourth and one or a fourth and two, in the NFL over the last 10 years, uh, a team that had a fourth and, and one converted 65% of the time. In the NFL over the last 10 years, a team that had a fourth and two Again, converted 57% of the time. The odds say that you were going to get it. They didn't get it. That's the way it is. But they did the right thing. Well, part of the difference there, though, is all you do, if you convert the fourth down, you just keep possession of the ball. If you convert the two-point conversion, you either score the two points or you don't score the two points on the very next play. Well, I think Andy brings up the perfect point about this, and that is, what are the analytics based on the situation? That's what I want to know. Because like you said, Andy, all these analytics, they're, they're just going on anything, anywhere, any time of the – anytime against any opponent in any situation. And I think that's different. I think you need to if – if I'm making that decision as a head coach and you're going to use analytics and I'm going to use it, I think everybody uses it now, that I want my guy to be meticulously going through every single situation. I know I'm going to – I know I'm playing, say, Tampa Bay. All right, well, let's find out how Tampa Bay's defense does in this situation. I want to use that as analytics. I want to use how does Tampa Bay's defense or Detroit's defense. How do they react in a situation where it's a fourth quarter situation? So I want all of that uh, information in order, to me, in order for me to make the final decision. In, in addition to that, how, how, is, it, is it the Kansas City offense going for the two-point conversion right, or the right. Carolina Panthers going for the two-point conversion? And what is the play call on offense exactly. as well? I didn't like the fact that they, they threw a fade to Mike Evans. That's not a high-percentage uh, two-point play call. So if they would have worked the interior of the field a little bit, they probably would have had a better shot of making that play. So to me, to me, it's a play. To me, it's a little bit irrelevant as to what the play is as opposed to what is the capability of the team from achieving the two-point conversion based upon the different capabilities of the various offenses and what is the capability of the defense that you're going against because, again, Kansas City against, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, let's take the Ravens defense against uh, the Carolina offense is a lot different than the Ravens defense against the Kansas yeah. City offense. And so Just a little. we need to see. Yeah, we need to see. <laughs> uh, I would like to see what the differences are in the in the success rate. I think what we need to see is Sean McVay's cheat sheet when, when it comes to going for two points. I'm sorry, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Andy's point is excellent. That it's you've got the if you have the best offense against the worst defense, 
yeah, you, you're going to have a more you're going to have more success rate than going for it. Your quality offenses and defenses, you're going to have it's a whole. But they when they do these statistics, they don't look at it that way. They're looking at everybody. That's right. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, Greg. Uh, I was a little bit more concerned about Todd Bowles just raising the white flag at the end of the football game last week. Oh, the timeouts. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, uh, I I looked into that, and uh, Dan Campbell first admitted, he said, yeah, I'm probably going to handle that a little bit better um, himself, of course. Uh, But the one thing that immediately entered my mind was, was this some sort of, did the coaches look at each other? Was this some sort of, we know what's going on here? And Campbell, lastly, in in his press conference, basically kind of hinted towards that. Like, kind of knew what he was doing and kind of understood what was happening. And that's why I did what I did, but I, I got to be better. So I just wonder whether or not it was almost like both coaches understood what was going on. Yeah, but we're competing here. We're not raising sure. the white flag sure. you know, when you're still mathematically in the football game. Uh, you know, there, there's things that can happen, uh, you know, turnover on the next possession, so forth and yep. whatnot. It was, you know, it was a little bit eyebrow raising to me to say. Yes, I think there would have been about uh, less than 15 seconds left. So they would have had, and who knows, they try to kick a field goal. You get the field goal blocked. They don't try to kick a field goal. They go for it. Something happens. So yeah, something could happen. Even if you only had uh, a few seconds left, like you said, why hold on to the timeout when you're not going to use it the rest of the off season? It you doesn't could also make, que- you could also question Buffalo's decision uh, for the uh, fake punt. Which was which they got away with simply because the uh, Kansas City guy was it Hardman fumbled the ball through the end zone when they were about to go in for a touchdown to extend the right. lead. When you're when you're you have to measure risk versus reward. The reward is nice, but the risk in that situation, which ultimately occurred, is if you don't make the uh, if you don't get that first down on the fake punch, you're basically giving up at least three points. Andy, I think uh, McDermott would have been more vilified. Uh, for his decision, you know, he went for he said he went for it because he only saw there were only 10 men in the field yeah. and he thought he had an advantage there that way. But if that decision ultimately ended up leading to Buffalo losing the football game, what's worse? Why right or that call? I mean, I, I couldn't quite understand. I would, I would say that call would have been worse because field goals are missed all the time. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, not a lot, but I mean, it's just a play that didn't go that go correctly. But there was a, a let's put it this way. I think, and I don't have the numbers, but I'm just going on intuition here. There has to be a greater percentage of an accomplished field goal kicker making a 44-yard field goal even under pressure than converting from your own 30-yard line on a fake punt. Oh, yeah. by the way, as far as the touchback, we've been talking about this for years. Terrible rule. And every, all fans seem to agree with Andy that nobody understands why it is what it is. So it, it, it give the offense, the ball at the 10 yard line, do Not, something. You know, don't yeah. Just do something. Yeah. yeah. Just sure. Something. But that's, 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 and who knows now that it was the chiefs and, um, you know, and if, if the Chiefs would have lost the football game, just imagine how they would have felt this season oh, with oh, all of the yeah. calls that went against them. 
That would have been the the creme de la creme. Not that 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 was a that was a call it was a rule, but you know. I do recall that. Oh, I think it may have been sometime in October, maybe November, where it was uh, said that the NFL will review that specific rule in the off season. Yeah, I think they need to. Yes. Connor, Connor, Connor. Yep. Great. Um, what, what else you got for us, Greg? Well, Ernest Brooks also uh, commented. Seems because we talked a little bit about this last week. Seems there's a goal to make the playoffs and the Super Bowl pay per view. So do you guys believe that at some point in the near future, not 20 years from now, 30 years from now, sometime in the near future, do you believe that they'll go to pay-per-view for the Super Bowl? I remember back, I want to say it was in the 1970s, late 70s maybe, where Congress came out and said the the Super Bowl will never be on pay TV. Now keep in mind, cable TV is pay TV. TV. But that was something that was done 40-something years ago. I would like to think that there could be some legislation and, you know, maybe yeah. there'll be antitrust I- implications that could support it where Congress or the, uh, the FCC, whoever is res- charged with the responsibility, uh, would pass some sort of legislation that says that certain events uh, must be provided uh, uh, free of charge, effectively. Whether it'll happen, I don't know, but it certainly would go against what everybody thought was going to be. Uh, the permanent rule back 40 years What would they ago. do then with their advertisers? You know, they're charging this uh, $7 million a minute or for 30 seconds for advertising. You're going to ask people to do a pay-per-view and sit through those commercials? Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. See, that, see at least it's, it's, a, it's a situation where it's one game. You don't have to worry about competing with other games because people did talk about that, obviously, with Peacock, and that's how we got on the discussion last last time. Regarding the it whole may, it may be one game, but it's the biggest game of the year. Yep, and uh, that's something I don't know. I don't know if we'll we'll see that, but you never know, of course. Uh, also, uh, Kevin Hogan Channel, Kevin Hogan Channel. Good to see you, Andy. Your insights have always been helpful. So that's from Kevin Hogan I, Channel. I, you know, I, re- I did see that from Kevin, and of course, I've known Kevin for a number of years, proxying for him in the. Uh, well, I think it was mostly the super contest for a number of years. Uh, so thank you for reminding me because I do have it on my list to uh, thank him for the comment. Adam, last man of all my life. This is the best show on Satan's kingdom, hands down. Kingdom was spelled a little bit differently, but anyway. Four, letter, four letters after king? <laughs> yes. Okay. I know, I know the word. Yes. Uh and then Kevin Finnerty. It, 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 it rhymes with numb. There you go. And I want to uh, uh, wrap up the last comment and uh, and, and kind of touch up on this uh, because didn't talk about this side of things yet. So this is a good time to do this. Kevin Finnerty. Because um, we talked about, obviously, all the games last week. I mentioned that the Packers were my, my top play last week. And um, I'm assuming Kevin might have uh, said this regarding that. He said, Packers played well down the stretch. And that was a question. They lost to Danny DeVito and the Giants. They beat Carolina by only three and ended the season with a modest win over the Bears. They finished nine and eight. They're an average team at best. Cowboys told to lay down for the bookies. End of story. Only way to explain that effort. So, uh, yeah, obviously I disagreed uh, with Kevin. I I prefer to think the moon was in the seventh house and Jupiter aligned with Mars. (laughs) Maybe a better chance of that happening, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give you the answer. It's Jerry Jones. Oh, there you go. As long as he owns that team, they're going to be a mess. Yeah. So, uh, 
but with the Packers, I, I got to tell you, and I look th- th- a couple of things on both sides. Um, I think the Packers should have won that game, and uh, they they missed the field goal late. That's a field goal that every kicker in a playoff game has to make. You know, it's not over fifty, it's not over forty-five. I know what the conditions, but it's forty-one. You got to make it. You make the field goal, you're going to overtime at worst in that situation. Uh, who knows what happens after that? But I thought the Packers played a tremendous football game. Do they have a good future or what? I think the odds for next year's conference championships and certainly the Super Bowl come out after this week's game. And I think uh, Green Bay will be very nicely priced from a standpoint of being amongst the top teams, which means we're not going to get the odds that perhaps we might have otherwise. I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay is in the neighborhood of, uh, say, uh, 15 to 1 or thereabouts. Yeah, That's still not bad, though. They were to win their division as well, yes. So, yeah, uh, so that was a real uh, – so, I mean, did, you know, did you guys – because I, I was already thinking, and I, I don't know if you guys do this. I, I'm sure you do. I was already thinking ahead when they had the lead. I'm like, I'm just – I'm not saying they're, they're going to win. I'm just thinking ahead. Hmm, you know what? If they win this game, they're just beating San Francisco and San Francisco. They, they can win the Super Bowl. I mean, they're beating, like, the best team odds-wise – on their home field, like, and they just beat Dallas on the road. I mean, that, that but it, you know, do you guys think it it didn't happen? Like, Mark, do you think it didn't happen because there wasn't Aaron Rodgers, there wasn't Brett Favre? As good as Jordan Love played, he's just not at that point. And if they had an Aaron Rodgers or a Brett Favre in that situation, they win that game. Well, for it to happen, Greg, uh, it would be uh, history making, historic, and uh, I don't know if the team is ready to be just that right now. Uh, they sort of uh, come out of their embryo, and they've really made a nice splash this football season here. But I don't know if they're just right quite at that spot where, where we found Aaron Rodgers to be so many times in his career. We would have found out if that field goal was made. Yes, we would have. Right, right. All right. Uh, that's going to wrap up uh, my part here on the round table. And I know, uh, Mark, you have uh, another direction you're going to send us this week. No awesome angle. So uh, you, you've got some uh, championship notes. Yes, I do. Uh, we're replacing the awesome angle on the show this week with championship round notes from this week's Playbook Football Newsletter. These are some of the ones that we put in the newsletter, but uh, just a very few of what our newsletter is containing this week, just jam-packed with lots of information. And I want to say this also, Andy Isco's newsletter is crammed with terrific winning information. You want to know about histories, you want to know about seeds, you want to know about pairings, you've got to read Andy's football newsletter TheLogicalApproach.com, Andy's football newsletter is outstanding. With that, what I'm going to share with you here, guys, this week is are some of these championship round notes that I brought out of our well-oiled machine. First of all, there's a role that Kansas City happens to be in this week that is not so favorable, just given the fact that road teams coming off a road game going into a championship round are just 14 and 30 straight up and 19 and 25 against the spread. The question here is whether or not the experience can overcome that number. So, uh, home teams in the NFC title games, 24 and 10 straight up, 19, 4 and 1 to the number. That would be obviously San Francisco. Home teams in the AFC title games are good, uh, 25 and 10 and 20 and 15 against the spread. So on par, on par with the NFC teams. And here's an interesting one here. Teams that are in championship round games that are coming off a point spread loss, they won the game, but they didn't cover the spread. They're 18, 11, and 1 against the spread. 
a little bit of value backing teams like that. People tend to want to shy away from that. And I'm going to take something out of Victor's library, if I may, uh, in championship rounds, in games with an over-under total of 49 or more points. Those have gone 10, 4, and 1 to the over. That would be the Lions and the 49ers in this particular football game. Victor, I know you mentioned before about the Lions and the 49ers being an overplay. Is that something you agree with, I'm sure? Mark, you're indeed correct about that. In the championship round of the playoffs, that is indeed correct. 49 or higher has been 10 overs, 4 and 1 to the over. Now, again, I mentioned in all playoff games, 50 or higher, these games have gone 8, 16, and 1 to the under. But you're indeed correct. In the championship round, there's been significantly more overs and unders when the line is that high. I can always rely on Victor for those good, crisp, sharp numbers when it comes to over-under totals. Guys, before we put the final wraps on this show here, uh, I want to get your closing thoughts on either what you might have as far as a complimentary play or your closing thoughts on the football card this week. I want to also let our listeners know out there that we're going to be back next week to do what we're going to call an awards show. We're going to go back on the season and talk about uh, some of the things that stood out, some of the things that tanked, so forth and whatnot, as a prelim to getting into the Super Bowl. So keep that in mind. We'll do our awards show next week. And with that, Victor, any either either free pick totals or thoughts you might have before we close out the show? Well, I, I am going to be making a wager on Detroit, and uh, I bought it up to seven and a half. I mean, I know it's a few dollars extra, but uh, I am playing Detroit. And what I'm getting behind is something that I uncovered when we were looking at playoff games, again, with a high over underline. But if you take a look from the database here, NFC, now this is in the NFC conference, NFC playoff favorites with a high over underline of 50 or more points have actually gone 2 and 14 ATS dating back to 2012. That's just over 10 seasons. It's gone a perfect 0 and 10 ATS in the last six years. It's telling me to fade the Niners. I'm grabbing the points with Detroit. I did buy it up to plus seven and a half. I'm interested to see which way Jim is going in that one as well. <laughs> After hearing that, <laughs> how can I say anything opposite? But that's just that's just one system out of the database, Jim. But I know that you like uh, sometimes moving off and moving on a key number when it comes to the point spread. Well, I look at that game purely from offensive defense and and uh, experience. Kyle Shanahan, uh, that whole team, they're they're stacked. They're at home. The weather looks like it's going to be good. I don't think Purdy's going to have uh, trouble gripping the ball. I mean, the experience in the Super Bowl would have to go to golf because he's actually been there. Uh, Kyle Shanahan has been the two, once as an offensive coordinator, the other as a head coach. Um, I give a lot of edge to Shanahan and company because they came off what was arguably a pretty bad game and they got lucky to win it. And I see them bouncing back with a lot of points. Now, your stats go against that. So, you know, I know you pick more winners than losers, so I generally don't like to go against people that that have an opinion and a strong opinion in the opposite direction. But I would lean to the over. But let me say this. If it's, if it's San Francisco that has the edge against the weak passing defense of Detroit, Perhaps the play 
is San Francisco over their total and not necessarily over the total of the game. Okay, yeah. Very good. And Andy, any thoughts you have? Let me ask you one question before you get into your final thought here, Andy. Uh, and it just it's just what Jim mentioned here, and I kind of put this thought in my mind here about Jared Goff. Him being the number one, uh, number one pick, and he's now a substantial dog to a quarterback that was Mr. Irrelevant, okay? Uh, opposite ends, if you will, of the draft pecking order here. Was Jared Goff the number one pick of the draft in the year he came out or just a first-round pick, do you recall? I don't recall. I want to say he was the number one pick, but I don't recall. I sort of, I sort of think he was, too. So yes, he was. How odd is that? The number one pick of a draft? I guess in the last pick. Yeah. In the yeah. last pick. Yeah, a touchdown dog to the last pick. But That's cool. Yeah. Question, how many quarterbacks have played well, gone to championship games, playoff games, divisional championship? that were never drafted at all? Well, that's a good question. You know, we're going to do some research on that, Jim, and we're going to follow that up next week on our award show. Okay. I like that I like that I question. Have, I don't have the answer. I just was thinking about when you said Mr. Irrelevant. Well, if you were drafted after that position, or you weren't drafted after that position, you were never drafted, but you still played well. Was Kurt Warner only, a draft that's, that's the name that came to mind. I don't know if he, if he was drafted Warner. at all. Right. Which would, well, which would be the answer to the question. That was a good yeah, we, we, we'll check that out for sure. So, Andy, what are you looking at this week for a final closing thought? Well, if you go back to it, it was pretty commonly thought from about middle of October through the end of the season that all health things being the same, San Francisco and Baltimore were the two best teams in football in each respective conference. And they had been, you know, if you were looking at the favored combination to make the Super Bowl, I think it would have been San Francisco with either Baltimore or Kansas City uh, because of, uh, you know, the, the pedigree of Mahomes and Reed. Uh, one thing I've noticed about San Francisco this year, and I don't know if this has ever been done before. I track a lot of different categories with the rankings of the um, 12 Offensive, defensive categories each. Six offensive, six, six the counterpart on defense. The 49ers rank in the top eight in 11 of those 12 categories. Uh, uh, total yards, rushing yards, passing yards, yards per play, uh, scoring, and uh, turnovers lost, turnovers recovered. The only category in which San Francisco is out of the top eight is in pass defense. They allow 214 yards per game. Of course, a lot of it has to do that they're number three in the rush defense, allowing only 90 yards per game. And even at the 214 yards per game that they allow defensively, uh, that still ranks number 14, which ranks number 14, which is still better than the NFL average. Um, that's that's an astounding number of categories to be ranked not in the top 10 or top 15 or top half of the league but top eight doesn't get much better than that and most of those rankings are in the top five or six um baltimore has a similar profile not quite as strong uh because they have a couple of categories where they rank below the top eight but very very strong uh what i am looking to do is and the payoff isn't great but I will be parlaying money lines, San Francisco and Baltimore, to win their games without regard to the point spread. If you go back over the last 10 years, I believe it's 7-3 and three or 7-2 and two along the lines of both home teams or both road teams sweeping the conference championship game. I think the home teams have done it six or seven times. In fact, for, there was one stretch where the home team uh, swept both five years in a row. And they did it last year, and I think there was one more time in the past, 
past 10 years uh, that they did it also. And I think it was twice that the road teams actually uh, won both games. So uh, I have history to support. I also have when the power ratings that I use, and these power ratings are unbiased in that they are applied and adjusted consistently. No emotion involved. Just go by the numbers. San Francisco and Baltimore rank four points better than uh, I forget who the number three team is in the league. So that's a significant difference when you're talking about a power rating scale that does not have a huge difference between the best and the worst teams for them to be so isolated on top. I'm going to look for both home teams to win. I know it pays less than even money, but I think I prefer doing that, going with history, going with what we all thought was going to happen since the middle of the season, ultimately happening and, uh, not have to worry about uh, either team covering the point spread. I respect Kansas City too much. In fact, I wonder about the Kansas City line. Buffalo was a two and a half point favorite in that game. And you wonder why it rarely, when the first of all, why didn't it open at three, expecting the money to go in three? And yet it was the underdog two and a half point Chiefs that won that game. Now you've got Baltimore a three and a half point favor over Kansas City. It looks too easy to take Kansas City in that game based upon. Uh, the disparity in overall recent experience. So I'm going to go with chalk, but on the money line. Andy Isco on the Baltimore Ravens this week with his closing final thought and selection on the football card. Ra- Ravens and Ravens and Niners in a parlay, money line parlay. There we go. We're going to parlay that thing too. Andy Isco, Raven, and he's projecting the Super Bowl winners for us guys here, the two football teams. I like that. Uh, my final thoughts on the football card this weekend, guys. One subject we did not hit on, uh, but I think it's it's noteworthy is the fact of uh, how well do number one seeds perform in the championship rounds. Uh, in my database, the, you know, since they started seeding in 1990, number one seeds in championship rounds are 36 and 12 straight up, 28, 19 and two against the spread. So they've held their own. Uh, they haven't disappointed a whole lot. Uh, when the number one seed wins the football game, they are 28 and eight against the spread. Also, There have been nine times since 1990 when both of the number one seeds in tandem won their championship games moving forward. So, you know, will this be number 10? Will we see both of the number one seeds at win in advance uh, in this particular weekend coming up here? As Andy Isco, Andy's confirmed that he likes that both the number one seeds to do just that. So keep that thought in mind. And also what you want to keep in mind is a copy of the playbook championship guide newsletter here it's just been printed it's available and just jam-packed with a lot of good winning information you can download it at playbooksports.com don't make a move without it that's going to put the final wraps in this edition of mark lawrence against the spread i'm going to thank our co-host victor king from king Creole sports our good friends in las vegas andy isco from the logical approach.com and jim feist the legend himself for joining us on the show this week and remember we'll be back once again next week with our award show here on mark lawrence against the spread Until then, remember to always to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.